2: com and definitely check out those shows as well. Melissa Urban is the author of The Book of Boundaries, Set the Limits That Will Set You Free. This was guest hosted by Juliana Goldman of Mama Den. Melissa is the co-founder and CEO of Whole30 and an authority on helping people create lifelong healthy habits. She is a seven-time New York Times best-selling author, including the instant bestseller, The Book of Boundaries, and has been featured by People, Good Morning America, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and CNBC. She lives in Salt Lake City, Utah.
3: Melissa Urban, author of The Book of Boundaries. Thank you so much. Hi, thank you for having me on. Just to get started, I found this book to be so incredibly empowering and I feel like I'm just channeling it in all of my interactions with people (laughs) and like you are in my head. So I would just love for you to tell us how you got from the Whole30 to the book of Boundaries and what was your aha moment? Yeah. So
0: the Whole 30 is a 30 day elimination program for people who don't know. You eliminate foods for 30 days to see what happens to your energy, your sleep, your mood, your digestion, your cravings, your skin. And then at the end of those 30 days, you reintroduce those foods and compare your experience. Because it's an elimination program, you say no a lot during those 30 days to the break room donuts and your mom's pasta and the glass of wine at happy hour. And I quickly discovered in the earliest days of Whole30 in 2010 that people really had a hard time saying no, especially in social situations and especially when faced with some kind of peer pressure. So I started helping people more than a decade ago, say no to food or drink that wasn't serving them, or, you know, say no to conversations about their body or weight or the food on their plate. And once they figured out that I was really good at helping them say no there, they started asking me about how to say no to their mother-in-law, who's always dropping by without calling, or their coworker, who's always gossiping, or their best friend, who's always emotionally dumping. And my conversations really morphed into other relationships and other areas of life. And, you know, in the early days of the pandemic in 2020, I saw all of this come to a head when especially for women and especially moms, school and work and home and kids and relationships all kind of bled together in a way that made us realize we needed stronger boundaries. So that's where the idea from the book came from.
3: You became the boundary lady? I did.
0: Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I had, I started getting messages on Instagram from people saying to me, Oh, my spouse now refers to you as that boundary lady on Instagram, which I thought was delightful. I loved it.
3: (laughs) Wear it loud and wear it proud. Exactly. Um, then you wrote my research shows that the main reason people don't set boundaries where they need them is that it's too damn uncomfortable. Talk a bit about the research that you did for this book.
0: Yeah. So, you know, obviously I read as many different areas of research into boundaries as I could, academic research, psychological research, business leaders, recovery leaders, you know, in the recovery community, that's my personal experience. And then of course, in talking to just thousands of people over the last 12 years in my own community, and the number one thing that came up, and I think the number one thing that I often saw, you know, lacking in some of the advice that I was reading from others was just how to navigate the discomfort. It feels icky to say no to somebody. I don't want to let other people down. I don't want to disappoint them at an even deeper level. I say, yes, I'm a people pleaser because I want to feel loved. I want to feel accepted. I'm afraid of doing something that might, you know, turn them off or turn me off from feeling loved. So that sense of discomfort was really something I wanted to tackle head on in the book by not only addressing it, but kind of pointing out the flip side which is that what we are already doing when we fail to set boundaries is already uncomfortable.
3: How do you look at boundary setting in this era of technology that we find ourselves? Because, well, tell me if you agree or disagree, but I feel like setting boundaries virtually is a little bit, maybe sometimes a little easier in conversation, like text conversations versus setting them in face-to-face or over the phone. Do you feel like we need to tear down that wall, that it should be like the same kind of discussions across the board or is it nuanced? So, I mean, obviously it's
0: nuanced and it depends. Technology is here and it allows us to connect with people in a way that we otherwise could not. So I get to stay in touch with my friends on the East Coast on a daily basis on a way that I couldn't before text message or, you know, TikToks or email. So if I want to set a boundary with someone that I don't see on a regular basis, but still want to engage and still want in my life, I might have to use technology to send it. And I think that's perfectly acceptable. I do think that we have to be aware of some of the limitations, though, in using technology, in the fact that you can't read body language or tone, Mm -hmm. in the fact that people expect like immediate responses from technology, especially via text message. And very often, technology can be challenging with some of the boundaries we want to set with ourselves. You know, the world is at our fingertips when we think about social media, when we think about scrolling, you know, our news feeds. And yet those kinds of things, the alerts, the pings can be, I think that scientists have found that they are the biggest drain of willpower and they can be severely detrimental to our mental health, to our time, to our energy. So I think there are blessings and curses when it comes to technology and we have to try to use the technology in a way that works the best and the most
3: effectively for us, not kind of allowing it to work against us. I really appreciated the part in the book where you said in it was the fall of 2020 right where you had to check yourself on was it doom scrolling or yeah. or looking at your phone uh before bed each night. Yes, I had gotten into the habit. It was like, you know, fall 2020.
0: It was COVID, it was social justice, it was the elections and I had gotten into the habit of doom scrolling through Twitter on my phone right before I went to bed and Inevitably, I would find something that outraged me, incensed me. I would start angry typing comments back, or I'd come to bed, you know, mumbling to my husband, Can you believe that this is happening? Or I read this or that. And finally, he had to have a little intervention. He caught it, you know, in a in a more direct way than I did. And he was like, You need to get off your phone before bed. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, you're right. Like this is the catalyst for all of these negative consequences that are spilling into the rest of my evening and the rest of my next day because I'm not getting a good night's sleep. So you you know that sense of like stress or dread or anxiety is the first sign often that a boundary is needed and in that case my husband helpfully pointed it out to me
3: one of the great things about this book is how you structure it and you tackle boundary setting by by topic and you know work love friendship family. So I'd love to get into some of those specifics, but like big picture, one of the questions I had when I was reading this is how to set boundaries when you're trying to set them with people who don't respect boundaries. Mm -hmm. It's
0: really important to remember, and I think it's a common misconception about boundaries, that boundaries are about telling other people what to do. Or controlling other people, and that your boundary is only enforceable if somebody else agrees to it. And the good news is that that's not the case at all, because if that were the case, you would be at the mercy of everybody else's behaviors to hold your own boundaries. So a boundary doesn't tell other people what to do, it tells other people what you will do to keep yourself safe and healthy. And to that effect, you can't or should not set a boundary that you aren't willing to enforce. So in some situations, it looks like initially expressing your boundary in the form of a request. I have this limit that maybe you didn't know I had. So I'm at the table and somebody starts talking about politics and I would say, oh, excuse me, nobody has any fun when we talk about politics at the table. Can we agree to talk about other subjects? And then I would change the subject. Aunt Rose, tell me about your vacation. That is an expression of my limit in a way that is very clear, but also very gentle. And it invites them into my limit and says, if you respect this, I'm going to have a much better relationship with you. We're all going to have a better time. This limit is healthy for us and for our relationship. If they choose not to respect it and they continue to talk about politics, then you say, if we can't change the subject, I'm going to excuse myself from the table, because that is the action that you can take to keep yourself safe and healthy. And if they refuse to stop, you leave. So the consequence or the boundary itself, it's not always like an easy thing. If you're talking about setting boundaries at work and your boss is deeply committed to disrespecting even your most reasonable limits, like please don't call me when I'm on vacation, the boundary itself might require you to request a transfer, report them to HR, or quit your job. So they're not always easy to hold. But the point of a good boundary is that it
3: is always enforceable to some degree by you. So you you alluded to this earlier, but on the family front, the in-law who shows up unannounced. Um we're recording this around the holidays, so there'll be a lot of family interactions for for everyone. Talk us through that situation. Yes. So, if you have an
0: in-law, if you have a parent who continues to drop by unannounced and you haven't said anything, right? You just sort of grin and bear it and you open the door and you're like, oh, hey, Carol, come on in. And then you're short and you're cranky. That's hurting your relationship. It would be much kinder to share a boundary. So your entry level sort of green level boundary would be, hey, Carol, would you please call before you come over and give us at least an hour's notice? There you go. Perfectly clear, perfectly kind. And now Carol can just say, oh, sure. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Now, if she doesn't like that and she stops by again without calling, you hold the boundary in what I call a yellow response, which is you answer the door. You say, oh, Carol, you didn't call. Now isn't a good time. Would you like to schedule a time to come back this weekend or should I call you in an hour when when I'm free? So you essentially are saying, you didn't call. That is my request. You refuse to respect that request for whatever reason. So it's not a good time for me and you're not coming into the house. The red boundary, if Carol continues to show up on your porch time and time again without calling, even though you and your spouse have clearly asked her to, you don't answer the door. And at this point, this is honestly Carol just being deliberately rude and disrespectful of your very reasonable limit. And it might sound harsh, but remember you've given Carol a number of opportunities to meet you in this limit and she's simply chosen not to. And now this is how you hold the boundary.
3: And you also advise on which partner should be having those kinds of conversations with the in-law in in question or the parent in question. Talk a bit about that because it's not black and white. There are situations where a husband should be talking to the mother-in-law if that's the best way to get through. Yes. So my general rule is Handle your own parents.
0: If we as a couple are trying to set a boundary with my parents, I'm going to have the conversation and say, on behalf of us, my family, my spouse, and I, my kids, we have this limit. We have agreed to this limit and we are asking you to respect it. But I'm going to take the lead in having the conversation. And my husband is going to do the same with his parents. We are on the same page. We are backing each other up so that if his mom goes to him or goes to me and says, Do you agree with this? Or are you going to let this limit come between us? We are both on the same page. Of course, there are exceptions. So sometimes the in-laws would rather kind of respect or would be more likely to respect the pregnant person's request in the relationship. So if I'm the pregnant person, then I might say to my mother-in-law, we can't handle visitors right now. I'm nine months pregnant. This is not a good time. You're welcome to come, but we'll find you an Airbnb or a hotel. And they're more likely to listen to me than my spouse. Sometimes parents might want to listen to you know, the professional in the relationship. So if you're trying to set a limit around your kids' food or eating and one of you is a doctor or a psychologist, go ahead and use that to your advantage. But I like the idea of handling your own parents because there are such complex relationships stemming from childhood that often happen when you marry into someone else's family and you don't want to put yourself in an awkward situation where now you're sort of like seen as the troublemaker, the one who's coming in and causing all of the disruptions. It's really important for you and your partner to be on the same page.
3: What is a script for parents or grandparents weighing in on parenting? Oh, over-parenting. I had
0: to do this with my dad and he means well. He really does. But I think, you know, every grandparent kind of wants to give you the benefit of their experience or thinks that the way they did it is maybe the right way. And Obviously, parenting has changed a lot in a generation. My parents were very authoritarian. We are not so authoritarian. We kind of take other approaches to parenting. So in the moment, or if you know that this is something that happens often, you can say ahead of the next visit, like, hey, we're coming to visit. Can't wait to see you. Just a reminder that when I'm there, I am his parent and I need you to respect my rules for him to preempt the visit. Exactly. Before you even get there, set the expectation if this is something that comes up often. In the moment, what I might say is in the presence of my child, if I've said my child can have five more minutes of iPad and my dad is like, nope, he's had too much, put it away. Oh, grandpa, remember, when I'm here, I set the rules. Son, you're perfectly fine to have five more minutes. When you're done, put the iPad away and then come find us. And I'm going to remind everybody in the moment that I'm the parent. If this kind of over-parenting continues and it's really causing stress for my child and stress for me and stress for the relationship, I'm going to have to have a, a hard conversation with grandpa about how the way we show up and visit with him might have to change if he will not respect my role as this child's parent and, you know, take the grandparent's time-honored tradition of like
3: butting out. Why do you think that women have the most difficult time setting boundaries?
0: We have been conditioned from so many different systemic factors, the patriarchy and the stereotypically rigid gender roles that the patriarchy brought us, religious influences, diet culture, the way that our families modeled boundaries or lack thereof. We've been conditioned to not have needs as moms. We are praised the most when we're selfless, when we put everybody else's needs and wants and feelings above our own and ours don't even show up on the list. That's when we are the most worthy. And when we do have needs and express them, even if we express them kindly, if they're even the least bit direct, we're told that we're selfish. We're told that we're rude. I can say something in a meeting that is very direct and I'm told that I'm abrasive or aggressive. But when a man says the exact same thing, he's decisive or bold. There are just a lot of factors that women have to unlearn and reclaim their voice in this idea of like, my needs are worthy too. My feelings matter too. I have to put myself on that list. In fact, I should put myself at the top of that list because if I am not healthy and happy and mentally strong and feel physically safe, I am of no good use to serve anybody else.
3: Over the last few years have you found in your research that women and this is a blanket you know generalization are better at setting boundaries? I mean you make the point which I think is really important in the book that like boundary setting boundaries comes from a place of privilege. But do you find that women have been emboldened to set boundaries for themselves especially in the workplace after the last few years with COVID, remote work. I would go back even farther than that. And I would say meet the Me Too movement helped
0: yeah. empower women to use their voice in whatever those settings are. And yes, I think open discussions around privilege and allyship, open discussions about the impacts of toxic masculinity on all of our you know lives on on all of our culture not just how it affects women and i think watching other women use their voice in a public way to not only set and hold their own boundaries but lift others up and kind of pass the mic have been really empowering and i definitely am seeing this conversation like boundaries is very much in the zeitgeist and i am mm-hmm. seeing the conversation now and i think we're seeing gen z step up and do it in a way that many of us felt like we couldn't in our early 20s. And that's really gratifying to see. I still think women have a long way to go. I still think we struggle with it far more intrinsically than a man would, just given the society we live in.
3: I'd love to dig deeper into this Gen Z divide with boundary setting, because I feel like, yes, on the one hand, I so admire the boundaries that younger employees are setting for themselves. On the other hand, I hear from friends, former colleagues, I see it just in my my own interactions, that sometimes those boundaries seem somewhat unreasonable. And I don't know if that's just because I'm old now. It's like, well, that's not how we grew up or if because there needs to be some sort of snapback to, to, yeah. Yeah, to reach a, a middle ground.
0: I think obviously it's case by case basis right but I do think that capitalism have moved all of us so far in the direction of being beholden to our companies I mean Gen Z is talking about quiet quitting right and it what they're they're not quitting what they are saying is I should be able to expect my paycheck for doing my job. I should not have to always give more of my personal time to the company. I don't have to be passionate about my job as long as I'm doing a very good job. I should be able to leave the office and go home and not think about work because this is my personal time. I should not expect to be texted on the middle of a paddleboard in Barbados from my first vacation in three years. They're not quiet quitting, but I think the pressures of capitalism and the way that at least I have been entrenched into, especially entrepreneurship, where it's Mm -hmm. like you hustle 24-7, you know, you'll sleep when you're dead, you're working when they're resting. That is such an unhealthy, toxic place to be that I feel like the boundaries that I'm seeing now are perfectly reasonable, but they feel so like such a wild swing because of how far we've all been pushed by the fact that human nature will take as much as we are willing to give. And we have been conditioned
3: to just give and give and give without limits, especially in the workplace. Well, I guess, and that brings up two questions, which is one, like what does entrepreneurship look like in 10 years from now or like the the entrepreneurs of gen z what is the culture that they're creating and second question is like can you have boundaries in a hustle culture yes so to
0: answer the second question yes and you should because you are of no good to anyone not your creativity not your productivity not your focus not your customers not your clients If you don't protect your own time and energy and space and mental health and focus, um, a boundaryless environment serves absolutely nobody. And you can probably get away with it for a little while, but you will end up burned out. You will end up burned out and your business will suffer and your health will suffer. And then you're going to have to spend all of that time digging yourself out of that debt when you could have just set some healthy boundaries. And maybe you would have not exploded quite as quickly but I don't want an explosion if it just leads to like a dramatic crash right afterwards. So I think the concept of boundaries and entrepreneurship is a very hot topic right now and I think people are talking about you know rest as resistance and recovery and that Ministry is doing a wonderful work in there. people are talking about this idea of like no, I get eight hours of sleep a night and I don't oh. take calls until 10 a.m because I have my morning routine that I'm deeply committed to for my health and for my mental health and for my productivity. So yes, I think you absolutely can and should as for what entrepreneurship looks like 10 years from now, I don't know. You know, it's so interesting to watch Gen Z say, like, I don't have to always be in pursuit of climbing the corporate ladder. What if I just really like where I am right now? I don't need a promotion. I don't need a title. I don't need a raise. I'm perfectly happy with where I am. We see tiny houses and van life. And, you know, I don't know if maybe that is like a backswing or resistance to the kind of capitalistic culture that we may have been brought up with. And whether that will level set, or maybe there are, I'm sure if we look back at history, there are cycles and there are trends of this kind of waves, Um, but it will, if nothing else, be interesting.
3: recently within the last few months, and I can't remember the authors to give credit to, but they were talking about the concept of guardrails versus boundaries, which is like the guardrails are what we expect from our places of employment our government, those are like the protections. Like when you're driving down a road and there are guardrails, they prevent you from like driving off, off the road. And the boundaries are what we set for themselves. So I wonder if there will be this like evening out of Gen Z pushing greater guardrails in place to be able to back off some of the, the boundary setting that we're talking about, or the, the degree to which they're setting the boundaries.
0: Yeah. I think this is what the conversation around quiet quitting has been missing for a long time is they're looking at it. We're talking about it from the perspective of the employee who is saying, I want a fair exchange of labor for value. And I will not keep giving myself to the company without recognition, without you know, reward, without appreciation, but we have to look at it from the top down as well. As an organization, am I building the kind of culture? that when we do ask you to go above and beyond because there will be periods of that in our in any you know business life cycle will employees be willing to do that because it is infrequent because it is not expected because it is appreciated because it is rewarded because it is acknowledged if we create that culture from the top down where boundaries are respected and encouraged and modeled so i am preaching what you are watching me do. And now, you know, these extra periods of work or pitching in or team player are actually feeling like an equal exchange for the employee. Now, I think we've got it coming in both directions where we have a truly healthy workplace culture.
3: I want to switch gears just quickly um, back to family and children and setting boundaries with children. I'll do a real life example. It's 535. My son walks in wants to snuggle. His light hasn't come on. I really, really want to snuggle. I don't want to ruin him and give him like issues by me rejecting his snuggle advances or whatever, but I want to sleep still. What is the script? (laughs) I know, I know. So I, you know, I
0: don't talk about boundaries with kids as much because A, my son is only nine, so I only have personal experience up until that age. And I feel like the conversation should be really nuanced with somebody who has an understanding of like basic child development and where their brains are. Mm. Dr. Becky Kennedy is fantastic with boundaries with kids. Mm but. I had the same thing. He had he is not allowed to come into my room or was not until 6:23. He negotiated me down from 6:30, which I thought was wonderful at like 4 years old. Brilliant. Yeah. But what would happen is he would knock on the door and it would be 6:15 and I would say, "We're not available. It's not snuggle time yet. Go play. You can go play. You can go read or you can go color." All of those things were out in his room for him. At 6:23, come back in. I can't wait to see you. So, you know, and I would explain to him that he needs that quiet time in the morning, that I need that quiet time in the morning to get good sleep. And we had to enforce it a few times. And like, it was kind of sucky and kind of hard to do it. And now, you know, I'm looking at reading Dr. Becky's parenting book now, and I'm like, did I even do it right back then? Because that was, you know, years ago. But I do think it's important for kids to see that boundaries are healthy, that it is, you know, certainly not a rejection, that it's just, it feels real safe for him to know that there are these limits and they aren't you know, they don't budge. They aren't malleable. They are reliable. And now I see him at nine freely and confidently setting boundaries with us around Mm -hmm. when we can come into his room or we can't read this one journal or I can't pick out his clothes anymore. And that feels really good to me. Yeah, I
3: bet. Yeah. I bet it's nice to see your kid like standing up for themselves, you know? Yeah, he is. I mean, I'll, I'll jump onto the
0: couch now with him and I'll be like, oh my gosh, do you want to snuggle and watch the show? And he'll be like, I don't want to snuggle, but I would
3: like to watch the show. And it's like, okay, we sit side by side and watch, right? So yeah. My daughter says sometimes she'll go, kisses are not on the menu today. Yeah, I'm like, (laughs) that's fine. Okay. Let me know when they're back on the menu and I'll be here. I love it. That's so encouraging. (laughs) All right. So if the book of boundaries came out of the whole 30, what's going to come out of the book of boundaries?
0: Oh, what a good question. I mean, right now I am very, very deeply entrenched in helping people through the holidays, of course. And there are just so many conversations to be had around boundaries and self empowerment in all of your relationships. I haven't thought too much (laughs) farther ahead than that. I think Um, once you give birth to like a baby, a book baby, even for people to be like, oh, what's the next kind of thing you're working on? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I just want to rest and enjoy it. So, I definitely want to, though, continue the conversation around boundaries, continue to expand it, and continue to offer people scripts around how they can set boundaries in their own life and then share those really empowering stories that I'm getting to help other people realize that maybe this is something that they can do too. And so beyond
3: the book, how can people get, get that support, where can they find you?
0: Yeah. So I have a newsletter called XOMU. My website is just melissayou.com. And I offer all kinds of boundary advice and life advice and relationships. And I talk about recovery and addiction and all kinds of subjects. I'm of course on Instagram talking about boundaries all the time, also at melissayou and on TikTok. I'm loving being on TikTok at Melissa underscore you. It is like the Wild West over there, and I'm super into it. So you can find me there too.
3: What's your favorite TikTok that you've done? Did I even say that correctly? Probably. Yeah. Not because <laughs> I don't, it's so
0: weird the ones that explode with like ways that I, I would never have imagined, but. I have I talked very casually about the shared set of expectations that I have, my husband and I have around household management and like the fact that I don't ever ask him to help and he never asks me to help because we understand that if there are dishes to be done or trash to be taken out or laundry to be put away, we just do those things and we don't ask the other person. And man, did that get <laughs> a lot of comments, a lot of positive comments from women and a lot of interesting comments, let's just say, from men
3: how diplomatic. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Melissa Urban, thank you so much for the time. Thanks so much for having me. It was great to talk with you. Thanks for
2: listening to this episode of moms don't have time to read books.